Welcome to season four of Knowledge Cast by Ideals. We're excited about this season's guest, and you can learn more about our guests in this new season and previous seasons at jackwwilliams.com slash podcast. Did you know that Jack is an author too? You can learn more from Jack through his book called The Question, a guide to answering life's most important question as he shares his personal journey that began in 1993 to determine the values, principles, and beliefs that would guide all aspects of his life. You can learn more about The Question on Jack's website too at jackwwilliams.com. Now let's listen to an all new episode of Knowledge Cast by Ideals. Welcome to our fourth season of Knowledge Cast. If you're a regular listener, we're certainly glad to have you back with us again. And if you are a first time listener, welcome. And we hope that you enjoy today's podcast and will join us again next week. Today, we have another special guest joining our podcast. And because of our guest's crazy schedule, we're going to uh, have to keep our interview a little shorter than normal. And because of that, I'm going to just get right into a brief intro. Well, today, Megan Kayla is joining us and Megan is a journalist and uh, host of the Megan Kelly Show, which is on Sirius XM Triumph Channel 111. And it's on every weekday at noon, Eastern Standard Time. And you can also find it on youtube.com at the Megan Kelly and or wherever you might get your podcast. And Megan also is a wife, a mom, and an author. Well, Megan, we're really grateful that you were able to arrange your schedule to spend some time with us today. And in the few minutes we have, I wanna talk about some things that people might not know about Megan Kelly. So welcome to our Ideals Podcast. Thank you for having me, Jack. It's a pleasure. You know, everyone looks at you as a media personality and, and they don't realize you got the same responsibilities as other wives and mothers. And you made a difficult decision while at Fox to, to leave the limelight, to leave the money, the notoriety, to focus on your family. Uh, walk us through that decision. Well, I mean, it wasn't totally an exit because I was going to NBC, but it was definitely a stepping away from some of those things you mentioned. And it was no accident. It was not ideological. It was about the fact that I wasn't seeing my own children. I was outsourcing too much to other people. And I understand every working parent has to outsource some amount with kids, but it had crossed over to the point where it was outsourcing the entire job. And it wasn't like I didn't think my kids were going to wind up being good people. I was just missing too much of it. I was sad. I wanted to be a part of it. I wanted to perform my duties and the joy of being a mom. And so when I went to NBC, my thinking was I could do a morning show from 9 to 10, and I could be home early in the day by 11, and I can spend the rest of the day with my family while still maintaining a, a big foot in, in the news career that I love. Um, so that's, that was sort of the first step. And then it didn't work out between me and NBC. And while that was upsetting when I first left, it wound up being the best thing that ever happened to me because I got a couple years home with my kids, with my family, resteadied the ship and then realized, okay, what do I really want to do? Forget what I just was doing because it's the thing I was doing. What do I want to do? And I managed to get back into journalism in a way that allows me to, serve both of these wonderful things that I love so much, my family first and the news second. Well, it certainly worked out well for you. You know, as a mom, you also had to face a, a tough situation that unfortunately many parents today are facing as it relates to their children's education. Uh, you were compelled, I believe, to uh, make a change in your children's school. What prompted that decision? 
Well, we were people who are center right in our politics in a far left city, New York. And that was fine. You know, I, I, most of my friends there were Democrats and liberals. I have some conservative friends, but just given the nature of the, the way the politics of New York work, they were mostly Dems. So I had no problem to the fact that the schools were generally going to be left leaning. Um, and Doug and I just counter programmed at home. But then they took this hard turn, hard turn in the way we've seen the country take a hard turn in some pockets since George Floyd and so on, when it came to race essentialism and radical trans ideology. Uh, and it just got to be so absurd. We recognize that to leave the children there would actually be abusive. It would be a complete corruption of them and their minds and their psyches. And we really felt it would be hurtful. It would be hurtful to them as humans to sit in a classroom every day where at my son's school, they had made very clear in writing that they wanted the faculty to understand, and I quote, that in every classroom where white children learn, there is a future killer cop. There's just no way I wanted my kids being taught by those people. And um, so we had to get out and we found non-woke schools in Connecticut that weren't too far away from our moms and the rest of our families. And that's where we settled down. Well, unfortunately, we're seeing an awful lot of that. Um, well, you were already a uh, very popular media personality before the presidential debate where you and, and Donald Trump had your infamous interaction. I'm just curious, when that debate was over, what was going through your mind when you were leaving the building? Well, two different things. When I was before I left the building, I did my show right after the debate. And that was crazy because I remember interviewing, I think it was Ted Cruz or one of those politicians who'd been on the stage and Trump was walking by yelling, Megan Kelly is not nice. She's not. And I was thinking, <laughs> oh boy, he's really mad at me. <laughs> but then by the time my show was over and I was leaving the building, I was like, that was an exciting night. It was a great debate. It was fiery. Everybody had fun. You know, I wasn't thinking um, he's not going to let this go. You know, I knew Trump wouldn't like that question. But, you know, I went back. I asked Ben Carson a really bad question. I mean, it was a great question, but it was like kind of mean. Um, it's presidential politics. You can't you can't like phone it in. So it wasn't until the next day and later that night that I saw the crazy tweets going and the, all the interviews he was giving that I was like, OK, boy, we're in for something much bigger now. And uh, I better brace myself because this, this is probably going to be highly unpleasant. Uh, well, it was. And uh, speaking of that, speaking of that, uh, I understand that you asked for a personal meeting with him several months later. What was your objective of uh, getting together with him? I just wanted him to let it go. I wanted him to take me off the playing field. You know, I knew Trump wanted to punch back and I got that and that was fine by me. You know, I mean, he is a great counterpuncher. I understood I'd be getting mine. Not quite in the way he gave it to me. I really kind of thought he'd recognize we're journalists and it's kind of what we get paid to do. Um, and I did think he got rather personal and it was, that part was upsetting the security threats and all that. But so it did, it evolved from like, Oh, this is kind of annoying. And he's really, really angry too. Oh, wow. Now like we're actually in danger and I've become the story for, you know, going on a year now. So he needs to let it go. So I'd asked friends at Fox, Sean Hannity, Roger Rails and others to try to get him to see that. And he wouldn't. And finally, I said, you know what? I don't need Sean and I don't need Roger. I'm just going to call him. I'm, I'm going to go over there myself and put this to bed. And the left freaked out because they saw it as a surrender. And the right, some of them kind of said, OK, well, if Trump's going to make up with her, I'll make up with her. But really, it, was, it wasn't for them. It was just 
to settle things in my own life and to try to, with my own audience, get myself out of the headlines and just back to covering the headlines. And he was very gracious and magnanimous. We had a great meeting and that really was the end of it. Um, what, what was his, I mean, how did he respond? You said it was the end of it. How did he, uh, how did he close it? He could not have been nicer. I showed up at Trump Tower and you know how Trump is. As soon as he saw that, like I wanted to get along with him, he wanted to get along with me. You know, he he only <laughs> sort of sees you through the prism that you see him. And Game so, was over, huh? Yeah. And I remember after the fact, Roger Ailes was very angry with me that, that I set up the meeting. He had really wanted to moderate it. And he, you know, he's like, this should have been on neutral territory. I said, Roger, what do I care? I don't care, you know, being the humble journalist and going to him. He's the subject. I'm the journalist on the power scale. I'm below him. I'm happy to go to him and ask for a meeting to try to take Megyn Kelly, the the woman, the journalist out of, you know, the, the presidential campaign, uh, as opposed to just, you know, in any way other than as a reporter. And Trump, he gave me a hug as soon as I walked in, you know, he wanted to take pictures. He, he told me he loved my show, which he had called for a boycott of. <laughs> it was fantastic. Well, I want to ask you one tough question before we talk about what you're doing right now. You know, if you had to pick the biggest challenge that we're facing right now as a nation, what would you single out? Wow, so many to choose from. I mean, you can't you can't skip over the economy and inflation. But I would say on a, on a more macro level, uh, the tribalism and it's connected to my profession, the media that we're all going through right now. We feel so divided. And I'm not going to say more than ever. I recognize we've had more divided times than now, but we are extremely divided. And I do think it's fostered by a disgusting, lying, dishonest media. And people don't realize the extent of the manipulation that they get. People who have good hearts who are just looking for information on their lives, their country, their schools, their towns, and how they are being fed disinformation, misinformation, not the kind the left talks about, you know, General Michael Hayden. I'm talking right. about taking actual facts and putting spin on them and trying to present them like they're real, right? In a way that's really divisive. COVID was a great example of how they do it unapologetically. When the truth bomb comes and hits them in the face, they still can't let go of their previous lies. So they continue the process with the American people and it creates distrust of the media and necessarily of the other side, the le the media's leftist, and it's trying to make you dislike the right because that's how they feel. And it's having a powerful effect. And then some on the right have responded in kind and down and down in the circle we go. Well, we used to have to deal with the uh, the regular media. Now with the social media, that is basically usurped uh, the impact of, of the traditional media sources. Mm -hmm. And social media, I mean, it can be a force for good, but it can be extremely pernicious. I mean, I, I constantly lament this disgusting selfie taking vain society we're creating now with our, our young girls in particular. And I really think it's one. The, the Kim Kardashians of the world have won. This is a thing where the girls want to be seen and not heard. How about that? These girls want to be seen more than they want to be heard. We've done something wrong. I was speaking the other day and, and I, I used the word selfie. I, I said, I'm going to sum up our country in one word, selfie. That's well it. done. Yeah, yeah I totally agree with you. And it's depressing. Well, tell us a little bit about now what you're doing on your, your uh, show there on Sirius XM and your podcast. It's super fun. I love it. I, my goal each day is bring you, to bring you the news in a way that's informative, 
entertaining and honest. And it also happens to be rather pr- provocative because I'm now in the business of just not giving a damn what any boss might have to say. <laughs> How's that, how does that feel? It's awesome. It's great. I, I just don't, I don't have a boss. It's my company. I can do the news the way I want. I have great advertisers who support me no matter what I've said, very controversial things because they're how I actually feel about the subjects that we're not supposed to discuss third rail issues. And they haven't abandoned me those thus far. So I do feel empowered to be truly honest with my thoughts and my honest analysis on these things. And it's liberating. Once you cross over to this side where you can say all the things, it's liberating. And I know there are people who can't, doctors who don't want to flush their careers because they say the wrong thing, bankers and so on, teachers. Um, I'm there for you. I'll do it. I will say it. I'll say it to millions of people. And I'll say it loud. They can't cancel me. They already tried that. I'm back. And I keep talking <laughs> and I will continue to. So I hope it, ma- it makes people feel empowered and relieved and sort of uplifted the way I always felt when I listened to people who are doing this, people who I liked in this lane, like, like Piers Morgan, like John Stossel, um, like a Glenn Greenwald. I loved listening to guys like that because my pal Tucker Carlson, they didn't care, disagree with them or agree with them. What's great about those folks is they'll say it like it is how they actually see it, no matter the blowback. And I'm happy to now count myself as one of those people. Some of your coworkers at the other networks called and asked how it is in the fun lane. Oh, it's amazing. I, I would never go back. I've had tons of offers to go back to TV and I've turned them all down. I love what I'm doing now. I can't imagine working for somebody else again. Um, somebody at some in some newsroom who thought he knew better. You know, he was going to curtail the way I covered the news. That's just never going to happen. Um, so I love it. I, I was talking to one of my friends who's a news anchor and I was telling her, here's the, here's the greatest secret about what I do. I look, I look kind of dressed up from the waist up or I look sort of more like a professional at least. Every day I got on my Lululemon jogging pants, <laughs> my stretchy leggings. She said, girl, now you're really making me jealous. That's the greatest. I've got it all now. They can relate to that. Yeah. Well, Megan, listen, thank you again for, for spending time with us today. I know you get countless requests for interviews. And personally, I want to thank you for allowing us to be one of those that you chose to accept and continue success with your show and uh, other opportunities that I know are going to come your way in the future. So thanks again for being with us. Oh, I love what you're doing, Jack. All the best to you. And thanks for having me on. As we wrap up another Knowledge Cast episode, a special thanks to each of you for making us part of your day. I hope that you'll join us again next week for another interesting guest. And until then, make it your goal this week to be a positive influence in the lives of others.